to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. As we heard in England in 1939, they were at war. There was uncertainty in times and, and people didn't know what was going to happen for their future. And the government wanted to give hope to people and say, no matter what happens in life, you can keep calm and you can carry on. It was coined as a statement of hope to those who were perhaps hopeless and had no future and no goals for their life. And I thought, what a great phrase of hope. We need to grasp a hold of in our lives because it's not just for 1939. I believe it's maybe even more for 2013 as we look at the times we're in, the uncertainties, but we can keep calm in God and we can find the hope to carry on. So what really is hope? You know, I ask this question to every one of you because the definition that most of us would throw out to hope can be different. I began to think in my life, what is hope? I began to think hope is tomorrow, okay? Hope is a future. Hope is is better things. Hope is what? Something better, happiness, something beyond today. All these definitions we can give of hope and the dictionary defines hope as such. The dictionary says hope is a feeling that what one desires will happen. A feeling that what one desires will happen. I want to tell you right now, I don't believe that definition of hope. Don't shoot me down. Don't think I'm better than Webster's. The definition is a feeling that one desires, something I feel, I hope will happen. I want to give you what I believe is the true definition of hope from God's Word. Are you ready? Here's the definition I believe God's Word says, because it's not just a feeling, it has to be an action in our lives. Let me say that one more time. It's not just a feeling, it's an action that we need to do. So here's my definition of hope. Hope is this. It is not, hope is not remaining the same and expecting everything else to change. Hope is not remaining. It's not a feeling of I hope that's going to happen or something. It's not remaining the same and expecting everything else to change. We would be idiots, hate to say it that way, but we would be stupid just to have hope for our futures but be unwilling to change. Well... We even get super spiritual with it. Here you go. I'm not only hoping, brother, I'm hoping and praying. Well, it's great that you pray and it's great that you have hope and you should have hope. But you know what? If we are hoping for our future but unwilling to change, that sounds a lot like the definition I've read before of stupidity. 
Stupidity, ignorance, the definition is as follows. Doing the same thing over and over again, except expecting a different outcome, a change. Come on, how many are with me? Do you see how our hope can sound almost like stupidity if there is not a change? I want you to hear this today. This is a powerful message, I believe, for your life. Because here's how we say, well, Pastor Philip, I've just got hope that my finances are going to turn around. Well, praise God, that's good. That's a good place to start. But what are you doing about it? If we've got hope for our finances to turn around, here's what we need to do. Number one, we've got to trust God. Most important part we can turn to in every aspect of our life has to be God first. If I want my finances to turn around, I've got to begin to trust God. I've got to be obedient to his word. But then guess what I need to do? Keep praying about it? Yeah, but what else? I need to start working hard. Come on, I need to start educating myself. Someone came and told me the other week, Pastor Philip, I want to go to college. I said, great. So why don't you do it? Well, I haven't got my GED yet. I said, well, that's great. It's okay. Take the GED so you can get. But you see, we can hope, oh, one day I'm going to go to college. We can talk about it and talk about it. And we talked about that last week. We can have a lot of words, but no action. If you want to be in college, take the first step and get your GED. You see, if we want our finances to turn around, then maybe we need to be going through the necessary training. Maybe we need to surround ourselves with successful people that are going to teach us and help us how to do life. What about this one? Well, Pastor Philip, I'm just hoping for my marriage to be restored and for God to do it. Praise God. Well, great. Hope for your marriage. But what are you doing? What must I do? Number one, I've got to trust God. I've got to let him be the center of my marriage and and turn over everything to him. But then I need to put my marriage in the proper order. You know what the proper order is? God first, then my spouse, then my children. Come on, you can't put your children before your spouse and you definitely can't put them before God. It's God first, your spouse, and then your children. That's divine order of family from God. Then what do I do? I've got to start putting in the effort to be nice to my wife. Well, I'm just hoping that God would do it. Well, what are you doing? Well, to be honest with you, we haven't talked to each other for two weeks. Uh, Well, my goodness, you need to be doing something. Come on. You need to be breaking that silence. You need to be getting some help, reading some books, getting around other married couples that can help you and change you. You see, here's what I want you to see. As important as hope is, hope is really just pointing your life in the right direction. Hope is pointing your life in the direction that it needs to go. But guess what? Being willing to change and do the necessary things in order to see that takes place, we've got to start stepping. Thank God for hope it can direct us, but then we need to be stepping into that direction and trusting God to change our lives. You see, hope involves change. Hope involves change. And the problem we have is we know that, but we want to change everyone else. We want to change everyone else. Here's the hope of change that you need to have. You need to change what you've got control of. You know what I can control? I can't control how Dustin does his hair, but I can control how I do my hair. But I can maybe stay up for weeks on end stressing out about his hair and and how he needs to change it. I know it's a silly illustration, but do you see how much wasted energy I have in worrying about them changing that I do nothing in the process? 
We can concern ourselves about how certain people dress and all that. But you know what? I can't change that, but I can make sure I change what is important and what I can do. And you know what you can change is your life. You can change you. That's what God has called you to do, to change you. Here's the mindset. We say, man, if everyone in this world changed, this world would be a better place. There's some truth in that. It would be a better place. But you know who the better place would be for? Those who are willing to change. If I'm sitting back and saying, hey, if they all change, then life's going to be great. Hey, they're going to have a great life. But you know who's still going to be miserable? The person who will not change. We've got to be prepared to change. We've got to keep calm and we've got to carry on. Change is inevitable. To refuse to do it will kill your hope for your future. You can either work with change or you can fight against it. It's amazing how many times we fight against change. You've got air conditioning in your house, but do you know that one day there was a fight against that? We don't want that in the house. We don't want cars. We don't want computers. We don't want this. There's a fight against change. Why? Because of the results that change can bring to your life. With God, change can be awesome to your life. With God, you need to change your life. We need to be constantly evolving and adapting because when we stop changing, we're going to die. When we stop changing, we die. Doesn't mean we like just boom, boom, fall over dead and bury us six foot under, but we die. You know, a physical death is the easiest death. You know what's worse than a physical death? Is living a life of death. So many people live a life of death because they're unwilling to change. Their marriage is wrecked. They're going through divorce. There's unfaithfulness. There's all these kind of things. And they wonder why they're dying. It's because they are unwilling to change. Maybe some of you are seeing your dreams and hopes and your aspirations lay in tatters around you. You're miserable. You're depressed. You've maybe even contemplated suicide in your mind. Why is that? Because circumstances aren't changing, but you're dying in the middle of it instead of changing, instead of allowing God to work inside of your life in relationship spiritually people are dying today and worse than a physical death almost is a living death that every day they are dead because dead people stink I mean turn and sniff your neighbor I mean are they dead today I mean what glory and honor can we give to God in our lives if we're dead but deadness can come in our lives through an unwillingness to change And the reason why many people don't change is because they don't think they possess the capacity for change. They think they don't have what it takes. But I want to tell you right now that God's word says you do have what is needed. I want to tell you right now, God's word says you do have what's needed. Look what Paul wrote to the church of the Philippi in in Philippians 2 verse 13. And just in case you don't get it from one translation, we're going to give it to you from two more. So three translations. So hopefully you'll get it. Read along with me. New King James versions for God. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The NIV says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. New Living Translation, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the what? 
the power, not just a desire. That's the definition of the world's hope, that you desire something's going to change. It starts with a desire, but God says, then I want to give you the power. And he's talking about real power, life-changing power that you can now what? You can do what is needed to please God. In other words... What we just read is this, that God in you, God working through you, gives you the power or the capacity to make the changes that's needed in your life. That means we have no reason to live by regret or excuse. Don't shout me down in the house, but that's what that verse says. There is no reason that any one of us should live in excuse or regret. There's no reason why we should sit here as children of God and say such words, I cannot do that. There's no reason as children of God we should say things like, there's no way I can make it. There's no hope for my life. There is no hope for my life. Guess what? It's time for you and I to change. Because you and God working together are an unstoppable team. An incredible force in him, in Christ, is all the capacity. That's why Paul says, I can do all things. He realized he wasn't called to do all things, but whatever he needed to do and what God had called him to do, he realized the capacity, the power was available in God. I'm telling you right now, God has given you the capacity and the power to turn around your marriage. God has given you the capacity and the power to turn around your finances, to turn around your spiritual life, to turn around every aspect of your life. Don't say, I can't. Because really what you're saying is, I won't. It's not a question whether you can, it's a question of you choose to or not. Well, brother, I like the hope thing. Well, I'm just going to sit back and desire and I'm just going to pray. Well, keep praying, keep desiring. But let me tell you something. God is all about faith. And you know what faith is? Faith is an action word. Faith involves your life as you live out. I'm not earning my salvation. I can't do that. But as a result of salvation, guess what? Works will come out of my life. There's a produce, a product that comes through my relationship with God. You see, change is not your enemy. Change is not your enemy, but being unwilling to do so is. Being unwilling to change. So here's the question for each one of you today. Here's the challenge for you. I wanted to put it this way, because when you just put it as a question, it's kind of cool. But when you put it as a challenge, I don't know about you, but I love a challenge. Anyone love a challenge? Man, I, I, I love a challenge. The only problem is my wife has figured this out. So if she ever wants something done, she challenges me in order to really get me. I don't think you can do that. Don't ever tell me those words. I don't think you can do that. You know, I shared this story before and, and, and probably some of you have heard it. But I remember once Brittany, my, my little girl, she was, she was like two years of age at that time. She's now 20, can't believe it. But she came to me one day and she had a Barbie doll in one hand and the head in the other. She said to me, Dad, can you put the head back on the doll? I looked and said, there's no way I can do it. I mean, it was snapped off. There was no way that that doll's head could go back on that body. She looked at me as a little child and said, but Dad, you said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We've got a challenge right now. We've got a challenge. I want to tell you right now, Barbie didn't look pretty, but duct tape sure worked. 
That head did not come off. In fact, the body would probably fall off the head before the head was going to fall off the body. That Barbie had a collar all around it. But let me tell you something. Put me to a challenge and I'm going to rise to the occasion. I want you to rise to this occasion today. Are you ready? So here's my challenge. My challenge to every one of you throughout this series is this. Do you really want a better life? Do you really want a better life for yourself or have you become satisfied with what you have today? Do you want more from God or have you become satisfied? I want to tell you right now, I'm thankful with what God has given me today, but I'm not satisfied. What do you mean by that? I'm thankful God has given us a great church. I'm thankful for everyone here, but I'm not satisfied till everyone who's lost in Baton Rouge is going to be saved. Come on, I'm not satisfied till we see this place burst. I'm not satisfied till we get multiple campuses all over this community and area. I'm not satisfied. Oh, I'm thankful, but I'm not satisfied. Do you want a better life? Most of us turn around and say, yes, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm just hoping and praying. Well, great, but what about the action? Are you satisfied with what you have today? Because a lot of people can kind of sit back and say, yeah, I'm I'm kind of happy. Life's kind of good right now, you know. I'm just kind of keeping calm. I'm just chilling through life and I'm just carrying on as I've always done because really probably nothing's really going to ever change and, and this is really who I am. So I guess this is the best I'll ever be. Turn to your neighbor, look him square in the eye and say, okay, Eeyore. Anyone watch Winnie the Pooh? Winnie the Pooh is great till Eeyore comes on the scene. Oh my. I have nothing. It's raining on me. Eeyore could have been in the house. Eeyore could have had friends. Eeyore could have had all these things. But you know what? Eeyore got to a place where he was complacent with the life he lived. And maybe he hoped for things to be better. But he was just Eeyore. He did nothing. He didn't work towards it. So when you say, keep calm and carry on, what are you really saying you're going to carry on in? For some of you, you may be able to coast through life where you're at because you're successful, you've got money in the bank, life is great. Maybe you can say, I can just keep going and I don't need to change. But for some of you right now, you need a drastic change in your life. You know that you cannot keep living the way you are. And I want to inform every one of you of this truth today. I believe every one of you in this place today cannot afford to keep living the way you are. Even though you may think life is great. Listen, life can be greater. Life can be better. Don't limit God. Sometimes success can be more of an enemy than failure. Because when you fail, guess what? You have to change something. But when you're successful, you can sit back and go, look at me. I'm good. I'm glad. And you know what? Success will swallow you up and spit you out sometimes. You've got to watch. You can celebrate after success, but you can't stay too long at the party. You know what I'm talking about? You see, we've got to realize that every time you hear these words, see these words. Now, I want you to say, I'm going to keep calm because with God, there's hope for my life. But you know what? I'm not going to carry on the same way. I'm going to carry on different. I'm going to be a different person. Because you see, the longer we avoid change, the more comfortable we, we grow with our struggles. The more we avoid change, the more we begin to accept where we're at as a normal way of living. Well, I guess this is the hand I have been dealt. 
Anyone ever said that or heard someone say that? I guess this is just the hand I've been dealt in life. I'm not a card player and I've never really played cards. I've played Go Fish and stuff like that. But you know one thing I've realized about cards is this. It doesn't matter the hand I've been dealt because I have an opportunity to what? Discard and take another. I can sit there and complain, but you know what? I can discard those negative thoughts. I can discard those things in my life. I can choose to get rid of those. Why? Because God's given me the power and the capacity to be able to do that. Surrendering to His will for my life and not just what I want for my life. But you see, when we get comfortable in those struggles, all those things, guess what? They will limit you from living a life of abundance, passion and satisfaction. And then we accept it as a normal way of living and when it becomes normal, guess what? We no longer see the need to change. And we seldom ever do change, if ever. Listen to this statement. I want this statement to rock your world today. If you're taking notes, take this down. If you're not taking notes, take this down today. Are you ready? Many people don't change because a known bondage is more comfortable than an unknown freedom. Many people don't change because even though I know my life is screwed up and messed up, at least I know where I'm going to be this time tomorrow. At least I know what to expect the day after tomorrow. At least I know where my feelings are. I don't want to throw myself out there. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. Isn't it amazing how many people would rather live in a known bondage And a step into unknown freedoms that God has for our lives. That statement means more people would rather stay in bondage than live life in all the fullness of God. John 10.10 says this, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, put me in bondage. But God says, I've come to break your bondage. This is the reason Jesus came. Jesus came for you, for your life. But he didn't just come for your life. He came that you may have life and that you may have it, what? More abundantly. Say with me, periosos. That's the Greek word for abundance right there. And you know what it means? Super abundance, excessive, overflowing, surplus, over above, more than enough, more than sufficient. Man, I like that word. But there's nothing Satan wants more in my life and in your life, is to keep me from that life of abundance. Here's how, what he'll tell you. Your life will never be any more than it is right now. Even if God could do all those things that you think he could, why do you think God would ever want to bless you? In this world of all the people that God has to be in control of, think how many more people there are ahead of you that he wants to help. Can you see the lies that Satan plays In people's mind. I want to tell you right now that if you're not there yet, guess what needs to happen in your life? You need to change. You need to change. We talked earlier about how easy it is to see the need for change in others, but it's hard to identify and accept it in yourself. But this series is a series of hope, and it's not for anyone else. This series is just for you. We're good at pointing the finger at other people and saying the change they need to make, but God wants in this series for the finger to be pointed back at us. And I want you to do this right now. Put your finger out like you've been pointing it at someone else. I want you to turn it back and put it right into your chest and say these words, I need to change. 
I need to change. I, I just can't keep calm and carrying on. I need to change in my life. There needs to be a change. And over the course of this series, we're going to look at some of the key areas of change so we can live in the true hope for our future. And here's what I also want you to consider today, and that is this. What about changing before you have to? What about changing today before there's a problem? Too many people change when there's a problem because now I have to change. Think about if you would change today, you would avoid the problem. Think about if you would start being nicer to your spouse and, and start wanting to spend time with your family. and start wanting, Think about making the change. Why do we wait financially to make a change till the bank manager's calling us up and saying, hey, we just had to bounce five checks for you today? That's the human tendency so many times. But think how different our lives would be if we changed before we had to. That we began to make the changes and we began to do those things in our lives. And really today, this is just the foundation. We're just laying the course for the entirety of this series. And and we're just going to show you in the next few moments what we're going to be covering over the course of this month along with other things. But I want to give you four key areas that you need to change in your life. First one is this, physically. Say with me, physically. That means your body. This is your physical body right here. I believe that we need to change the way we take care of our bodies. Come on now. I believe we need to take care of the way we handle our bodies. I know this isn't popular for many people and many people don't like this. But look what the Word of God says. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body, whose body? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is God in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price, a great price. A great price. He gave everything. He gave his whole life. That was the price he paid for you and I. You were bought with a great price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This body is not mine. It's God's. And I'm going to have to answer for the things that I do physically as well as spiritually in my life. Why? Because I believe the way we can really dishonor God many times in our life is by the abuse that we put upon ourselves physically. So many people abusing themselves. And here's what many people say. Well, I'm going to heaven anyway, so if I get there a little bit quicker, no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I wonder today if every one of you could stand in front of a mirror and look at yourself and say, man, this body glorifies God. There's going to be things that you're going to look at and say, man, that's not bringing much glory to anyone right there. I know this may be practical preaching today, but we need to be practical too. We need to honor God with our lives, how we take care of ourselves. We talked about this on Wednesday night. You weren't just saved to get to heaven. You weren't just saved so you could be in heaven. If God saved you just to take you to heaven, the best thing that God could do is the moment you gave your life to Christ would be to take you to heaven. Everyone agree? Because then you wouldn't be tempted, then you wouldn't stumble, then you wouldn't fall, you wouldn't mess up. If salvation was just about heaven, the best thing that God could do is, bam, as soon as you're saved, take you up to heaven. Then you'd have no more problems, no more worries. I want to tell you something. Heaven is your home. That's your destination where you're going. But God didn't save you for heaven. God saved you with a purpose. 
And you know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to tell other people about Christ. Your purpose is to live a life that honors God and that pleases God and that reaches and touches other people. Again, I'm going to say something may make you mad, but it's the truth. Listen to this. Your unhealthiness could cause someone else to miss out on heaven. You could die before your time. You know, in the Word of God, it talks about Samson, a great story to look at the life of Samson and a lot of things we can learn how not to mishandle the the anointing of God upon our lives and how to make the wise decisions and choices and not just because we're saved will everything fall into place. We've still got to live life and we've still got to make the right choices. But you know, in the end of Samson's death, it says this. It says, in his death, he killed more than he did in his life. For years I thought, wow, that's good, great. I think that's a statement, not of good job, Samson. But I think that's a statement that is very sad to me because this deal. How many more miracles and great things could have Samson done if he would have stayed alive? Oh, but he did that in his death. Yes, he did. But think of what he could have still accomplished with his life. Do you think God really purposed for him to end his life in such a way? I don't. You see, in our lives, the Bible speaks about glorifying God with our bodies. We need to start glorifying God with our bodies. Because the choices and the decisions we make, some of us, you know, are so unhealthy in our lives that we don't have time to talk to people at lunchtime because by the time we walk somewhere or do something, the effort that's needed, we're so exhausted, we're so drained, we're so tired. It's amazing how we can dishonor God through the abuse of our bodies, but yet other people suffer as the consequence. Kelly and I went through a horrific time just, um, I think it was just over two years ago. And um, it was more horrific for Kelly than it was me when Kelly lost her mother to lung cancer. Kelly's mother had been a smoker all her life. She was the kind of person that she lit one cigarette off the other, you know, nothing ever burnt out. In every room of the house, there was one in the bathroom, there was one in the kitchen, there was one. There was a cigarette almost lit everywhere. She would forget she had them and just put it down and go to another room. And one of her lungs collapsed and... They rushed her to the hospital and found out that she had a tumor that was so big that it was growing out of her lung and completely blocking one of her lungs. Six weeks after discovering she had that cancer, Kelly's mother, she passed away. She lost her life. During that time, thank God, we had the opportunity to lead her to the Lord. We had the opportunity to pray with her, and that was awesome. Praise God. But you know, it amazes me to now see Kelly's aunts, which of course are her mother's sisters. And it amazes me to still see Kelly's dad all still smoking. They saw the effect of what it did. The doctor said it's because you were a smoker. It wasn't because you were in a plant and you had asbestos and you had all this. The doctor said you're dying because you're smoking. Her mother said the reason I'm here is because of the wrong choices and the decision. Her mother said I have so abused my body and this is what she said. I've prayed that God would forgive me for that. That was my step into praying with her right there. That was awesome. I prayed for God to give me the opportunity. But it's amazing that even seeing the effect, the unwillingness that can be in many of our lives to turn around and say, well, I don't need to change. That will never happen to me. I can just keep calm and carry on. Let me tell you, you can't keep carrying on the way you are. Even seeing that pain firsthand, 
and seeing the pain still that her dad lives in every day because Marilyn's not there. Young people, her, her mother would be 65 right now, a young lady, a young lady. And you know what's very sad? Here's what's very sad. It's selfish decisions we make. It's selfish decisions we make. Why? Because Kelly and I are pregnant and her mother will never see her new grandbaby. She'll never have the joy of being able to hold that baby. And that's taken something from Kelly too, because don't you believe that? That one of the first things that Kelly's going to think when she holds that baby. I wish my mom was here to be a part of that. The Bible says we've got to honor God with our bodies. And it can be very selfish to the decisions and the choices that we make. And we're going to be talking about this. Because I think we need to get these things right. Because it's amazing how many people physically don't want to change. And what a selfish decision it is. And the snowball effect that it puts onto other people. The second major area in our life is finance. Financially. We want to call this being a good steward with what God has given into your care. Well, I wish God had given me more. We're going to see about that because he cannot give more unless you're a good steward with what you already have. You see, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. He talks about three people that were chosen. One was given three talents. One was given two. One was given one. The one who had three went out and invested that, doubled their money, had six in return. The one who had two put it in the bank, invested. As a result of the investment, doubled their money. They now had four. But the one who had one dug a hole and buried it in the ground out of fear that what they had would be taken from them and they would lose it. And when the master came back, they stood before and the faithful one stood up and said, hey, I took the three, I've made three more. The next one said, I took the two and I doubled my money. And the last one said, well, I just dug a hole. And the Bible says that what was in his hand, that one thing that he feared to lose, was taken from him. And it was given to the one who had invested it and done with it right. And here's what Jesus says in conclusion to this. Matthew 25, 21. The Lord said to him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You who were faithful over what? Just a few things. Guess what? I will make you Ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. God says, because you are a steward with what you have, I can now give you what I want to give to you. I can now give to you true riches. I can now give to you those things because I can trust you. I could talk for hours and hours on this and we're going to come back to this and we're going to jump into this. But it's amazing how many people get upset about their financial condition yet live so undisciplined and unwilling to see the need to change in their finances. You all went quiet there. Finances are screwed up, but yet we live so undisciplined and unwilling to see the need of change. Listen, if you don't have money, Starbucks shouldn't even be on your... Hello? Just trying to be practical with you. 
I mean, go to the gas station if you want a cup of coffee or ever pay 50 cents for something. You're going to pay 550 for or whatever. It shouldn't be Starbucks. It should be four bucks or five bucks is what they should call it. Because everything you buy from there is at least four bucks or five bucks or whatever. Most intimidating place in the world for me. I'm not a coffee drinker and I'm waiting in line and everyone goes, yeah, I'll have a double A. And I'm like looking at the menu saying, where'd they get that from? It's an intimidating place. But we've got to watch. We've got to watch the decisions and the choices that we're taking and making in our life. I'm going to give you some truth right now. And everything you've heard is truth. But we're going to give you some more today. Until you can take care of and be a good steward with what you have. Why should God and why would God give you more? If God were to give you more... If you're not being a good steward with what you're at, all God is doing is giving you more to waste. And God's not a God of waste. You don't solve money problems with money. It just creates bigger problems. Look what it says in Malachi 3 verse 10. In the last part of that verse, God says, quotation, God says, See if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a what? Come on, it's not a trick question. Help me out. God says, I'll pour out for you such a... That there will not be room enough to receive it. Say with me, cursing. You see, if we're not a good steward, then God's blessing will be a curse upon our lives. And that's why God cannot bless that which is not right, because He cannot bless that which is going to be a curse. He cannot bless that which is going to be mismanaged and mishandled. God wants to pour out a blessing. What are blessings? To further your life, to help your life, for you to touch other people. But God cannot and God will not bless wastefulness and bad stewardship. And neither will God bless those who are unwilling to tithe. Love you enough to tell you the truth. It's a principle from God's word, a God who never changes. And when you say the word tithe now, it's sad that in many circles you say the word tithe, people like point their finger saying, oh, he cursed in church. He said a curse word in church. Tithing's not a curse word, but I tell you what the curse is. The curse is what you bring upon yourself when you refuse to bring back to God what is already his. God doesn't let you keep, or God doesn't ask for you 10%. God says 100% is mine, but I'm going to let you keep 90. What an incredible God. The society we live in today is so different. The society we live in today is here's another credit card. Here's another opportunity. Buy a lottery ticket. You never know. The Bible tells us as children of God, we're not to give our lives to chance. Or as you say, chance. We're not to give our lives to chance, to chance. That's not how we're going to base our lives. Why? Because we can base our lives in faith and trust in God and trusting in Him. Don't be like so many who fail to make the financial changes necessary to continue in their life, but yet they want to continue down the same destructive road and expect something different to change. That's the definition of stupidity, insanity. Ignorance. Oh, but Pastor Philip, I'm hoping for God and I'm praying for God. Manage your finances. Be a steward for God. And sometimes when you start paying your tithes and when you start being a good steward, you don't always see the results straight away. But I'm telling you right now, you're now heading in the right direction so you will see those results. 
Sometimes you can be put to the test and say, hey, yeah, how much do you trust me? How much do you believe me? It's amazing when you bounce your checkbook and you cause problems. It takes about three months sometimes for everything to kind of play itself out, doesn't it? But the first month you can't look and say, oh man, this is, it. It's, this is silly, it's not working. It may take some time, but if you are adapting and putting in place the right principles, the right principles, godly principles work in your life. I've got to move on. Say, move on, pastor. Number three, number three. Keep calm and carry on, is what you need to say. I'll say keep calm and you say, and carry on. There you go. Number three, in your relationships. Pride can really present itself here. Look what it says in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. There are so many who are unwilling to change, yet remain so unhappy and unfulfilled. There are so many marriages that are a a train wreck that is waiting to happen if it hasn't already. There's so many homes in our relationships with our kids and with our parents that are so volatile that are non-existent at best, but yet we don't change. We don't see the need. They need to change. They need to do this. Come on, I think a change is needed more here than we perhaps even realize. Come on, I can't keep calm and carry on if my relationships are not where they need to be. I've got to kill the pride because most of us, our pride says, well, I'm not the problem. If they would change, then they're the problem. Remember what we did with that finger? Where is that finger pointing? It's pointing back at us. It's not in their face. It's not up their nose. It's not saying you do this. It's right here. I need to change. I need to do what I need to be doing. But you can see because of pride, because of the unwillingness to change, many people wait till it's too late. The damage is almost irreversible before they ask for help. Be proactive. Keep it fresh. Look what it says in Matthew 19, 7 and 8. God's word. Jesus said to them, or they said to Jesus, why did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Here's Jesus' reply. Jesus replied to them and said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, Permitted you to divorce your wives. It's not the period. Read on. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, we just read there that hardness of heart can be avoided. That was never God's intention for marriage to end in divorce. That was not God's design for marriage. But yet we can allow hardness. We can allow indifferences. We can allow things to separate us in our lives. We can make the poor decisions that can lead to silent addictions. There's so many people who are in bad relationships that are bound to pornography, thus making their relationship more. And it's not just a man issue. It's also a female issue too. The silent addictions of drug abuse and alcoholism. Why? To mask the pain of what's not happening instead of saying, God, change me from the inside out and help me. You know, in our relationships, it's so much easier to make the change before we have to. Be proactive. Swallow your pride because if one wins in marriage... Two people lose. Three people got that. If one person wins in marriage, two people lose. Well, I got my way. Well, I'm doing it my way. I won, I won. But guess what? What about Kelly? What about your spouse? What about your husband? What about your wife? If you're getting it all, then they're losing it. And if they lose, guess what? You're losing too. 
It's not a win-lose situation. It's a lose-lose situation. You're going to lose out. So make the change before you have to. And last but not least, your spiritual condition. I talked a lot about this last month, how we talked about are you a fan or are you a follower, how you can be an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus, a fan of him. Yeah, yeah, God, you're awesome. You come to church, maybe even pay your tithes, want to be involved, but yet you don't have a relationship with God. You've got to be a follower of God, but yet we can be followers of God if we don't watch and resort back to being a fan. We can allow complacency to come in our life. We can allow, uh, you know, um, backsliding is better defined as slack abiding, that we can fail to to really love God and to really serve God. And we've got to be constantly willing to change and adapt in our relationship with God, to work on it, to build it, to see it grow, to avoid the complacency that wants to come in. Because if we've been following Christ for a while and there's no change in our life, you're in trouble. If there's no change in your life and you say you're a child of God, then I have to question the relationship you have with God. Because God wants to constantly change us and renew us and make us into His image and into His likeness. Oh, I'm a long way from that, but I want God each and every day to be changing me, to be transforming me. You see, look at this. Complacency is a current that will work against your life. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. Drift happens. You'll never drift into a good relationship. You'll drift out of a good one. You'll never drift into having proper financial situations in your life. You'll drift away from that. You'll never drift into a better marriage and all these things. Drift will take you away from where you need to be. It's a current that will draw you away. Complacency. God says you need to change and never stop changing. And that's why I believe it's important to be in church. Church is not that which saves you, but church helps keep you saved. Helps keep you on track as you hear the word of God. Because the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to be able to look back at my year when I come to the end of this year and I step into 2014. I want to look back month by month and I want to see the progression of change in my life. I want to see areas of change in my life that I can look back and say, God, you really changed me last year. I don't want it just to be, oh, a new year's coming. God, would you change me right now? I want a constant change and growth to be evident in my life. And that's what we need to have in our lives. On Wednesday, we're going to look at what causes us to avoid change. Seven things cause us to avoid change. Are you ready? First one is because change is change. Second is because of fear. Third is because change can be discouraging. Fourth is because of rebellion. Fifth is flat out laziness. Sixth is procrastination. Seven is denial, refusing to face the truth for your situation. If you didn't get those points down, come back Wednesday and I'll share them with you. Keep calm and carry on changed. I've got to change. I can't carry on the way I am. When you came in today, you should have been given a little card. If you weren't given a little card, then you can get one on your way out. They'll be available. But it's just a simple little card. And in, on the top of the card, it says, what areas in my life need to change? What areas in my life need to change? On the bottom, there's a signature there's a date. Why? Because I want this to be a little contract that you write to yourself this month. 
I want you to say, you know what, this month as we go through this series to keep calm and carry on, I realize I can't keep carrying on in my marriage as I am, in my finances, in my spiritual walk with God, in my relationship with others. Physically, I can't keep carrying on like this because I'm a heart attack, heart attack waiting to happen. I've got to make some changes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be real with God and make these changes. But here's what else I want you to do. I want you to pray a prayer before you fill this out and say, God, would you show me too the areas of my life that need to change? And I want you, I don't want these handed back. This is not my business and your business. This is your business with God. But what I want you to do every day, I want you to remind yourself and every opportunity you have, I want you to say, God, you have given me not only the desire, but you've given me the capacity, the power to do this. And I need to change in the way I talk to my wife. I need to change in the way I handle my kids. I need to start budgeting my finances. I need to put down the fork. I need to do something to change my life. Because my life has not really been fully pleasing to God. I think this is going to be a great series for your life. I said, I believe this is going to be a great series for your life. Because we're not just in here desiring something. Thank God for the desire to get it right. But you know what also we're doing? With the help and the strength of God, we're not going to just desire, we're going to make it right. I believe that we're going to have, I'm telling you right now, I'm believing by the end of this series, we're going to have so many incredible testimonies of people lined up saying, you know what, God's turned my marriage completely around and I had to make some changes and I had to do some things. Come on, God set me free from pornography. God set me free from excessive spending, you know. I've only, I, I realized that I didn't need that, but yet I, I was out of control, that God's turned around. You know, that I used to think I had a relationship with God, but now I know I do. That's what we're talking about, keeping calm and carrying on. Having a life of hope, but a life of hope with change, because hope doesn't really bring change, but change will always bring hope. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.